Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Santosh here, your pediatric infectious diseases doc. And this is Praz the Sandman, making your craziest dreams come true through the radio waves. You know, he hasn't actually repeated himself. Not once. Yeah, yeah. Well, he has a, going strong. a different <laughs> intro. He's he's like Bill Curtis from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He's got a different so that's intro how... every time. <laughs> That's how you'll know when I try and sneak a repeat in on you. Travel Medicine Radio, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, Praz used that one back in episode two fourteen. This week, I wanted to do something a little bit. I feel like we've been very superficial lately. I wanted to go a little bit deeper, so I decided to do an episode. All about cosmetics. Yeah. Um. <laughs> keep it skin deep. Just keep it skin deep. Keep Under deep. my skin today. But, <laughs> but you know, but you know, we're also in one of those weeks when I like to round up all the journal stuff. So it's time for another journal club. Yay! Yes. Santosh, do you remember when we discussed previously ancient Egyptian medical papyruses? Papyri? Papyri. That's right. Papyron, papyrodotomuses. yes i i remember and uh, we had a a lot of fun talking about a little bit of psychology a little biology we talked about condoms and one of the things of course we always think about is the black eye makeup when you think of ancient egyptians you're usually people immediately go to hieroglyphics or that bangles walk like an egyptian music video (laughs) yes the black or both yeah yeah and that black eye makeup, which is known as coal, actually may have a medical purpose. Now, it gives the the chemical composition or recipe for it in the Ebers papyrus, but in a 
paper published by the American Chemical Society actually noted that lead-based substances were used for medicinal purposes and that large doses of lead, as we've covered, are poisonous. But microdoses can stimulate specific aspects of your immune system through nitrogen monoxide. And it may have helped to combat eye infections in a swampy area or a marshy tropical area such as the Nile, where any kind of droplet contaminated with bacteria in water getting into your eye can cause, well, a whole host of problems for people who depend on that one water source. (laughs) Sure, and this is just a property of lead. It's quite toxic to really any cell. It inhibits the firing of uh, chemical impulses which depend on other ions like sodium and calcium. So bacteria depend on these chemicals too to communicate with each other, to move around, to invade, and to infect. So it, yeah, it's a little toxic to your skin, but it, you know, and to your brain and to pretty much the... You look fabulous! (laughs) But perchance it will also kill any invading microbes as well that it comes in contact with because we share at least that much with our distant unicellular relatives. Sub-micromolar concentrations of lead ions so not the full compound but lead ions used sparingly right <laughs> not not caking it on there <laughs> you, you want a light well, touch even even, <laughs> even in caking it on it's yeah. in trace amounts like i i believe isn't there some charcoal and zinc in the football eye makeup it is yeah the the eye black that uh, some of the they don't you know football players don't wear it for that silver silver so you know, and these these heavier metals are also have likewise these antimicrobial properties. We're even now in this day and age considering coating surfaces with less toxic metals such as silver and copper because inherently bacteria have a hard time growing on these metals. Yeah, and we can we can use those metals on things like door handles and railings without worrying about us going crazy and dying. <laughs> a small price to a pay. A small price. <laughs> I see, like, that when you say that this lead increases production of this chemical nitrous oxide, I know, nitric oxide, I should say. Nitric oxide, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if part of the immunomodulant properties is that by increasing blood flow to that area, you also increase delivery of oxygen and other antibacterial agents that are innately found in the blood. Sure, cells. So, so you're, you're talking about INO, uh, nitric oxide, that is a natural vasodilator, right, Press? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is something that our body makes in order to increase the diameter of our blood vessels, so vasodilation, mm-hmm. and wherever you deliver blood, white blood cells come along and uh, other antimicrobial proteins like complement. So yeah, that could absolutely be just increase the blood flow and your own natural defenses go and kick some butt. Although, of course, that wouldn't work on doorknobs, but definitely um, on (laughs) So far, we can't put blood flow in our doorknobs. I mean, I would never leave my house. No. <laughs> that would just be... <laughs> oh, yeah. Josh, the doorknobs are bleeding again. 
No, 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 no. Look, I can deal with the walls bleeding, <laughs> but seeing actual pulsing arteries and veins yeah. in a doorknob? <laughs> That's so like creepy. Some, uh, that's where I draw the line. So creepy. Yeah, that's like some horror movie stuff. Right <laughs> yeah, that's some horror movie <laughs> level. I, mean, I, I can imagine way in the future, you know, the Travel Medicine podcast in, you know, the year 3017. As like, you know, back in 2017, an intrepid group of young doctors suggested making the walls bleed in order to prevent bacterial infection. <laughs> and now, you know, it's common practice. I mean, why didn't we think about this before? <laughs> We're the racist old grandpas who hate the meat walls. <laughs> in my day, they were made of, of cinder block. <laughs> I feel, oh, crazy old Josh. <laughs> From the brick age. From the brick age. <laughs> all right all right well gentlemen i figured that'd be a fun place <laughs> to start and now let's move from cosmetics into cosmetics aha and start I, talking I don't get it yet <laughs> about some of the journal articles where medical technologies are being used to help improve our outward appearance mm. all right there are some really fun ones i got for you this week we'll start with a urban legend that has been proven true on one or two occasions and that is i'm sure you're all familiar with the concept of a lazy eye sure sure eyes just lazy you're not lazy no one has shape yeah yeah well, well the medical treatment for it is usually wearing a glass or an eye patch over the affected eye until or over the good eye right. forcing the lazy eye to work harder <laughs> Um, and get with the program and you know that's it's a little well there has been an urban legend for years that seeing 3d movies wearing those red and blue old-timey stereo goggles could correct it and now there has been an actual case report uh, of somebody who went in wearing these glasses and came out with his lazy eye fixed so the gentleman is known as Ben Bridgman. He went to go see a 3D showing of the movie Hugo. So this is, again, a little bit of an older story, but it came up in popular science. Okay. But he had his whole depth perception restored, according to both BBC and later CNN. Okay. And this is not to say that, you know, you should grab your 3D goggles and go see Assassin's Creed or Star Wars to fix anything medically wrong with you. (laughs) Um, Or fix your diabetes. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, please. Santos, explain, explain what the theory behind this is and how it works. Well, uh, so you have an issue of stereo blindness here. So, you know, the, the people who have this form of lazy eye is, and, and medically we should use the term, it's called strabismus, where one eye doesn't line up properly and move well when the other eye tracks. And the uh, you could have several reasons for this. If you have a problem where 
you actually have a nerve that doesn't work. So there are several of the cranial nerves involved in coordinating your eye movements and moving your eye properly. If there's a problem with the nerve, if there's a problem with the muscles that actually pull your eye into alignment, this may not work. But if the issue is just that maybe from a very young age, the eye has not been aligned properly um, because it was initially set wrong because the way that your muscles around your eye, so-called extraocular muscles, were not lining up the eye properly, then you can kind of teach them or train them to work. So this is in a very specific type of strabismus. And essentially, what you need to do is get the communication from your eye, your eye muscles, and your brain, which kind of sets up a framework for how things should look. And this is a, a teaching. You're teaching that occipital lobe in the back of your brain how the world around you should appear. And if you can do that, then what happens is that the brain communicates back to the extraocular muscles via the cranial nerves and pulls your eye back into alignment with your dominant, or I shouldn't say dominant, or with your good eye. So this is a case of using technology, you know, a little bit like how a little while back we were using roller coasters to fix kidney stones. Um, <laughs> we're using, you know, fun technology like 3D movies to teach a lazy eye, an eye where you have strabismus, to pull back into alignment and look where it's supposed to look um, so that your vision is no longer double in particular cases. So most people will, with strabismus will say, oh, you know, when I look to the left, everything's fine. But if I look to the right, you know, I'm having trouble looking over there or when I look down or when I look up. So definitely, first and foremost, you should go to an ophthalmologist or a neurologist who can make sure that the muscles are all intact and the nerves are working well. And if it's a true case of just, quote unquote, simple lazy eye, then it's possible that therapies like this could work. Even with that being the case, I'm surprised that just one movie was able to fix this guy. Yeah, I, I, there's got to be a little bit of... Uh... Well, that's why he's a, a case report. Yeah, just but a <laughs> And the reason I bring it up is that studies are now being done. In most people, it does take, at the very least, a matter of months. Right. So not, not hours. Um, now, that time can be shortened if the person is young enough because the brain does have more plasticity. plasticity. Sure. Right. But studies are being done at how 3D works on your brain. And as 3D technology gets better, we're essentially always training our brains. And the length of a two-and-a-half-hour 3D movie with amazing technology could eventually point toward a quicker treatment if – well, if the technology catches up with us. Right. But in the meantime, we'll have to stick with the traditional treatment of looking like pirates, and I don't mean of the Caribbean. <laughs> so that was a, again, older story with a developing technology. But let's start getting into something a little bit more modern and cutting edge. Oh, yeah. Cut and <laughs> slash. Yeah. <laughs> And this is actually more in in your world of operations, Praz. Okay, yeah. Because it is an operation. 
Do you all remember the song, and I loved that this was used as the clickbaity title, I Wish I Was a Little Bit Taller? Yeah. I Wish I Was a Little Bit Yeah, yeah. Wish I Was a Yeah, that was Skilo. Are we allowed to say mm-hmm. that? Do we have the rights? <laughs> well, we didn't have a beat, and we're using educational purposes, <laughs> but full credit to them. Yeah. So, there is actually a real, honest-to-goodness, legitimate surgery that can help you grow up to a full foot in height. But before you run off... Oh, God. <laughs> let's let's go briefly into the world of orthopedic and cosmetic surgery. And, Praz, you want to tell us about this one as with your unique anesthesia perspective of having to keep somebody unconscious for this? <laughs> well, let's, full disclosure, I've never actually seen this in person... But it sounds like it would do quite a lot for a lot of people. Not as much for me. You guys can't see me, but I'm a relatively tall gentleman. And uh, handsome. As as tall as I am <laughs> muscular. <laughs> and Santosh's kind. Oh, exactly. It's just there is... There, I don't think there are enough superlatives. Should we move on? I feel like we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> we could go on forever about your superlatives. But um, this procedure, I mean, it seems like you would do a lot for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who just are not only born with dwarfism, but also people who have one leg that's a little bit longer than another, people who limp because of that or who are unsteady for that. And people who are, deal with a lot of bullying because of this issue really don't have very good quality of life. And this one surgery um, can certainly do a lot to fix that or to change things for a lot of people. Basically, the way it works... Well, first, I think you have to, you have to make a couple unwise gambling moves. <laughs> and, then, and then you default on your loan shark. Oh! And then, <laughs> and then the bookies... And then he sends his bookies, who will call orthopedic surgeons <laughs> to break your legs and i think that's the first step in the surgery more or less am i correct basically yeah i mean it's a big big deal to like break something that's intact and try to refix it because there's no guarantee that things are going to heal the proper way or that you'll even have reasonable function afterwards you primarily do it if things are that bad or your quality of life is just that poor they take the bones they break them, they put rods in, stretch them, pull apart all your nerves, arteries, the skin. You're taking a big risk, a three-month risk, before you actually even see the results. Generally speaking, it should add about a few inches, but, I mean, in extreme cases, if someone's really feeling lucky, as you know, like you said, sometimes it could add even as much as a foot. <laughs> if you get a spare snake eyes, though, no This is something that we've known about for a while in terms of uh, lengthening. So let's uh, give a small anatomy lesson, first of all. So you got your hip bone connected to your thigh bone. Your thigh bone's connected to your shin bone. And your shin bone's connected to your ankle bone. The, is that also a skilo song? Uh, that, no, <laughs> I, th- I think that was Tupac. That one, <laughs> I so, remember that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have your thigh bone, which is called the femur, and your shin is actually made up of two bones, a little bit like your forearm, called the tibia and the fibula. And in this particular case, Josh, I think we're talking about lengthening 
with the uh, with the tibia and fibula, right? So Correct. this is this is one that we in pediatrics have known about for a while, where you fix you you make a break in the middle of the bone, and then you fix the bone above the break with a you know think of a metal ring that goes around and then the spokes of the ring drill down to hold the bone in place and then you have another ring which is below the break and again the spokes go into the bone and then you have a rail uh, that connects the two rings or several rails actually and you actually give the patient a little tool you give them a little ratchet and they're supposed to turn it like a quarter of a turn or a full turn you know once a day over a long period of time and we've used this for um, limb lengthening when there is a drastic uh, difference between like the right and the left leg which can happen in growth with some kids Um, sometimes this happens because of a defect that they're born with other times it'll actually happen because they may have had a fracture at their growth plate in the tibia or the fibula or the femur, and the bone actually ceases to grow properly. Um, In another case or another type of case, you can think of uh, a clinical disease called Blount's deformity, Hmm. where the bone is actually bent out of shape, either because the patient is overweight or the bone actually grows improperly so the bone has to be broken and then either lengthened or shortened and then reset into place and allowed to heal Um, but it's kind of miraculous that you can like pull the bones apart like that and then your body knows how to fill in the space with more bone that's just awesome so I'm gonna. I've got two fun little bits of history for you about. The first is about that technique which you just described, right. and it is. It's wonderful. I know I talk about how scientists are bad at naming things, <laughs> but doctors and I, I know we're giving ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back here are great at naming because this is known as distraction osteogenesis. Osteo meaning bone, genesis meaning creation, distraction meaning, oh shit, what's going on? So this technique is known as distraction osteogenesis. And distraction osteogenesis is exactly what Santosh has just described with the turning of the ratchet to maintain tension on the bones and give them a guideline to sort of grow back together. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. ...to up to a foot. Now this, so that's the technique, but the device, that circular three-ring device... Yeah. ...known as the Ilzerov device... And it comes from 
Dr. Ilzarov, a Whoa. Russian surgeon in the 1950s who noticed this actually on horses. So if you've ever seen a horse with that big arch above its neck in the halter, that's basically what this device is designed after. He treated a Soviet world record holder in 1968 who had broken his tibia and had 20 unsuccessful operations over a three-year period. Ilzarov used this technique and his device, and it healed the world record holder, and he went on to compete in another Olympics. Wow. Uh, it was brought to the U.S. in oh, it was right. It was in the eighties, uh, nineteen eighty-seven. By and here's where I I learned about it by a physician known as Victor Frankel, who is definitely not at all sounding like Frankenstein <laughs> yeah. for a device meant to grow, grow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> who was the president at the time of the Hospital for Joint Diseases. Hopefully his patients uh, weren't as grotesque as his monster. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so he's like, I'm just going to, br- I'm going to break your legs <laughs> and, and then place this device on them and you will grow. <laughs> exactly. Very nice. Very nice. I do want to say that, you know, if anybody's thinking about this, one you know, please think long and hard. Is this really something that's a functional issue or is it really cosmetic? Pros, of course, I'm sure you'll be happy to tell us about the the issues with anesthesia, um, especially when, you know, trying to do uh, orthopedic procedures that are this kind of complex. But, you know, from my perspective, you know, you do have a nail going into the medulla of the bone. That means the center of the bone and several of these nails holding it into place. When it's medically necessary, like if someone has a bone deformity or they're really short where they can't even at full adult height reach the pedals of their accelerator and brake to drive their car, it's totally understandable, but you're open to infection. And even though with a good physician and good follow-up, your incidence for infection is pretty low it is still there so there's kind of this ongoing risk for the months and months and months not to mention the pain and the aching and the rehab that you need uh, before you consider a surgery like this one absolutely absolutely um so aside from the typical complications of infection bleeding etc probably an intermediate risk for surgery meaning that it's not a simple procedure like taking a molar but it's not a high-risk procedure like having heart surgery. Most people who are reasonably healthy will probably survive the procedure. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yes my, you can see where my standards are over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a good, it's a good cutoff. It's a good cutoff. The biggest issue that I could see with this type of procedure is pain control, both in the operating room and for the next several days afterwards. And I would imagine that the surgeons would request some sort of regional pain control, meaning that if you were going to have this type of surgery, you'd probably need either an injection into some of your, around your nerves to try to numb the area that's going in there, or possibly even a catheter placed around your nerves so that you could have good pain control for the next several days. I mean, aside from being uncomfortable, having bad pain control will keep you in bed longer, put you at risk for other complications like pneumonia, forming clot and everything like that. 
and that's something that you also had to think about before going into this procedure. You know, the risks also do include nerve damage, hip problems, osteoporosis at the site of infection. I mean, you are causing a break in a bone. You're really going out on a limb here. And this is not a cheap surgery at $85,000 on average. And that's how much it is in India, where most people are flying to have it done as an elective cosmetic procedure. Obviously, you would expect that a procedure like this would probably leave quite a few scars, as with any sort of major operation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, that brings me to our next story from Medical Press, published uh, beginning of this year, actually, January 5th, 2017, about a new scientific study that may give us the first step in becoming like Wolverine from the X-Men. Woo! Oh, man, can I grow claws out of my hands? Metal claws? (laughs) Oh, so close. I was actually talking about... Uh, regenerating skin such that you don't scar. Oh, man. <laughs> Although I guess that's pretty good. I... It's not as good as knife hands, but it's a okay silver medal. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Researchers at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, in conjunction with the Developmental and Regenerative Biology department at uc irvine that is a great name for a department it's fantastic uh, yeah. we, we name our departments well that's that's how we attract people especially if you have an institute <laughs> right like i want to work at the regenerative biology department yeah. well they found uh, work they found a study that helps regenerated skin heal rather than scar tissue by transforming the most common types of cells found in scars into fat cells something that until the study was published was thought to be impossible Uh, and this was published in science on january 5th 2017 so fat cells are known as adipocytes or adipocytes or however you want to pronounce it but they're normally found in all of your skin not just in those areas where you have maybe a couple extra pounds But your fat cells are lost when wounds heal as scars. That's why the skin is shrunken, looks dried, um, doesn't have that sort of puffy softness to it. And the most common cells, the most common cells that are found in healing wounds, wounds that haven't scarred yet, are known as myofibroblasts, which very often tend to form a scar. One of the other things that these researchers noted is that scar tissue doesn't have any hair follicles. Think about it. You never have hair growing out of a scar. It's just dead skin with nothing. There's barren ground. The earth has been salted. Nothing grows (laughs) there. Yeah, it's a a very unique type of tissue that is even different from skin. Absolutely. These scientists found a way to change myofibroblasts, which are the type of cells found in these wounds that usually form scars into fat cells that don't cause scarring and the secret is to regenerate hair follicles first so maybe they're born with it maybe it's maybelline but maybe it's myofibroblasts but maybe they're just after you regenerate hair follicles the fat regenerates in response to signals from the hair follicles so even your hair can make fat yeah yeah There's a nice, you know, fat pad next to each hair, and that is actually a little bit of the function of hair. You know, we are not furry apes like our cousins. We are the we are the hairless apes. I'm not sure you need. But 
Yeah, unless you're Indian. <laughs> There's a few of us. Uh, we can say that because we are Indian. Okay. Um, there are other ethnicities out there, but I don't want to get political right now. There's a little fat pad next to every pilus, and that's a vestige from when we were, you know, in the trees and when, you know, before we were Homo sapiens sapiens. So that that little fat pad can come along if you program the myofibroblast to make it. So with that being the key, like if the hair follicle really is the key to regeneration, would any of these medications or um, or solutions or creams like things like Maybelline or Minoxidine? No, or no. <laughs> You can't, you can't Simpsons this. No. So this was actually a tissue and mouse study where they really had to go in and take the myofibroblast, reprogram it, and then replant it into the mouse. Hmm. So they, they had to trigger the myofibroblast to behave in a manner that it's not used to. So you can't just like add a chemical and go. Well, actually, what they discovered is a chemical that adds the go called bone morphogenetic protein. So they went deep. They went deep into these. But Santosh is right. They were carried out in rats. You know, this isn't going to be showing up on the shelves anytime soon. (laughs) But but what was found is they looked at these hair follicles that were stimulating fat cells and they found something called bone morphogenetic protein that instructs myofibroblasts to become fat. So they were thought originally to be incapable of becoming any kind of cell uh, aside from what they were. You know, like a stem cell can become anything, but most other cells, once you specialize, there's no career changes. Right. Mm. Yep. So, <laughs> so what they can do is take this signaling protein that they know exists in all hair cells that helps convert things into fat, use it to stimulate myofibroblasts in healing cells, and it makes a tissue regenerate rather than scar now it may be a little bit hairier so yeah. <laughs> you know now that explains a lot of wolverine's shall we say uh appearance yeah yeah, yeah. he's not he's not a uh, hairless man and, and by the way we are talking about uh wolverine the comic book character not hugh jackman the oscar nominated actor i just don't know him well enough to say right <laughs> right we've we, i mean we in the uh, movie watching world have seen quite a bit of him, but uh, you know we don't know everything. The end result is Dr. George Costarelli, chair of the Department of Dermatology and principal investigator, is saying, you know, this is very exciting. They want to follow up on this, not just for cosmetic purposes, but also to help treat, you know, the loss of fat cells you see in chronic conditions like HIV. Or even to focus on, when we say early wrinkles, a form of anti-aging research. So there's a lot of high hopes, but the important thing is we actually do know how to prevent scarring, even if it's only in rats. Yeah, absolutely. And I should say, Josh, at the very tail end of this report that Dr. Castorellis et al. submitted in science, they did say that they got some keloid tissue. So uh, keloid scars, uh, ladies and gents out there, is if you ever have a, you know, you have a tendency to scar where the skin not only scars with the thin tissue, but becomes kind of thick. It does happen more often in darkly melanated people. So African-Americans and Indians, they took some of that keloid tissue, keloid scar tissue, and co-cultured it with uh, bone, bone morphogenetic protein 
for BMP4 and co-cultured them with lipid-laden uh, adipocytes alternatively and saw if they could induce human tissue to do the same thing in tissue culture. So this was on a plate, and actually they did. But certainly none of this was tried in like a living, breathing human. So now that we've talked about forcing your bones to lengthen and about preventing scarring, I figured the next best study to go into would be one that deals with one of the most frightening parts of the anatomy, your teeth. Woo! Oh, you know, God. <laughs> you know, the part, of your, the part of your skull trying to escape from your face. Yeah, just breath. Oh, uh, <laughs> so yeah. researchers have found a way to regenerate rotten teeth using a drug normally given to treat people with Alzheimer's. And it's not by giving it to people with Alzheimer's and then they just forget about their rotten teeth. <laughs> but um, In this case, it's is not But yeah, so scientists have actually managed to repair cavities by stimulating the naturally occurring stem cells in the tooth to rebuild its own tissue, and that is with using an Alzheimer's drug known as, oh gosh, don't butcher this, tidid... <laughs> Tideglusib. 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 All right. This is... <laughs> Tide bugles. Oh. <laughs> Rain it in. Rain it in, Dvoretsky. <laughs> this, this is an antagonist of an enzyme called glycogen synthase kinase 3, or GSK3. Kind of a custom molecule, which is a GSK3 inhibitor. This was also trialed on mice, giving them cavities, maybe by having them participate in Swedish Candy Saturdays, which we discussed in our last episode. (laughs) But they gave a bunch of cavities to mice and rats and then gave them this Alzheimer's drug and found that it stimulated the teeth to regrow dentine which is the mineral component that actually makes the tooth hard and able to chew and bite yeah. and give us that delicious, omnivorous lifestyle. Yeah, that's what you see on the outside when you smile. So it generates dentine, and I guess that also participates in the enamel. Right. But it, it reduces the need for fillings or cements. And because title Glub Glub is <laughs> a... <laughs> title Glusted. <laughs> I feel like it's the Benedict Cumberbatch of drugs. You can really say anything. You could say anything, and you'll know what I mean. I could say, oh, you know that actor, Benedictine Cumberpatch, or Boondock Cabbage Patch, or really any, any three syllables, and you'll know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's the guy. It's Sherlock, damn it. Come on. It's my goal yeah. in life, to be able to be referred to by <laughs> um, Yeah, Boomer Cucumberhead, you know. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so Tideglucib was studied, ironically enough, these findings were made by the Dental Institute at the King's College London. Uh, They were using these clinical trials to treat neurological disorders and happened to notice this separately and started a separate trial to follow up on it. Interestingly enough, this could be fast-tracked even within the next year or two because uh, Tideglucib is already an approved drug. Right. So it doesn't have quite the same hurdles. This would just be a new application of it, so a new on-label use. You could see this even as early as next year. Yeah, so GSK-3 inhibitors were studied for a long time in Alzheimer's, and 
uh, Tidaglucib specifically had been trialed and it had been kind of moving along. But this enzyme, GSK3, is not exclusive to the central nervous system. So, you know, as it is in a lot of, you know, fields of science, a scientist will be going through maybe a journal watch or or looking for a molecule that they're interested in, in this case, GSK3, and they might actually stumble across, oh, we have a GSK3 antagonist now which is already licensed for use or in clinical trials. And I say, hey, you know, well, I deal with GSK3 all the time. I'm a tooth expert, but I wonder if this would work on dentine rather than on Alzheimer's symptoms. So the good news is, even if you start ending up forgetful, you'll have a winning smile. (laughs) Ha! And that concludes this particular episode, or this week's medical topics. Uh, But let's throw in a fun just the tip. What do you feel about construction machinery? Bulldozers, uh, cranes, dump trucks, things like that. Uh, I appreciate them for what they do. Uh, I am into, like, heavy machinery in terms of, like, wow, man, that's really, really cool. But I, I don't know anything more about them you know, to be an enthusiast or what have you. Yeah, I'm definitely not an enthusiast. But again, I think they're cool. what they do is certainly impressive. Well, good news for both of you, because for people who are interested in, want to learn about and enjoy and interact with construction machinery, there is an entire theme park called Diggerland. Oh, in, well, I never. It's in New Jersey. Of all places. Of course, because it's in New Jersey, the very first ride that you can go on is known as the Backhoe Adventure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ready, to, right. ready to drive? Ready to drive? Take a Backhoe Adventure when you, three friends, and a Diggerlands ride operator climb inside the cab of a modified JCB 3CX Backhoe taking turns behind the wheel of the machine as it navigates our obstacle course. So this is actually, it's a family-friendly, and I should be fair, primarily aimed at children theme park. Okay. Where the adults are allowed to participate, and you get a chance to drive obstacle courses and operate things like cranes, skid steers, uh, shake and rolls, those asphalt rollers that pave the way. You even get to do treasure hunts with cranes, in sandboxes and trying to use the arms on bowlers to actually go bowling with construction machinery. So for only $36 a day admission, it seems like a great way to kill a couple hours. And it is meant for all ages. So I know we go internationally often, but I feel that really we have to recognize our nation's treasures. (laughs) Just keep in mind if your child is 36 inches or under... Uh, they can have bone lengthening surgery so they can participate. Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> boost them up. <laughs> nice. Excellent. That, Excellent that was call. a fantastic segue. I, that's, <laughs> that's a good tag right there. You know, I think we should end it there. Um, but I do want to give a special shout out to our Patreon patron, Rebecca Gamble. Thank you so much for your generous donation helping to make this show ever better. We love you. And, and with that, cut to our outro. 
As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, on Squarespace, on Twitter, on Patreon, anywhere podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear your reviews, your ratings, and we would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Included in the show notes are a whole bunch of places you can do that. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me. (laughs) Me help. With a lot of help from all my co-hosts and those of you who submit stories, thank you very much. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.